starts this particular discourse as we discussed yesterday because the subject matter that is discussed in the 13th chapter the previous chapter in which Lord Krishna said to the self on account of identification with Prakriti on account of identification with the personality of the nature gets bound to the world and that identification born of ignorance becomes the cause of this repeated birth into different embodiments. <coughs> that the Atma, the Self, gets bound because of ignorance. Bound by this personality or this prakriti of the nature, which is said to consist of these three gunas, Sattva, Rajas, Tamas. And so the questions, as we said, arose. What are these three gunas? What is their nature? How do they bind the Self? How to become liberated? And what happens after liberation? These questions arise, and therefore, in order to answer those questions, Lord Krishna starts a discourse. And before addressing those specific questions, Lord Krishna also wants to clarify something about this creation. And also the nature of the Creator or God, the subject matter of long discussions in the morning otherwise. So that's what Lord Krishna wants to clarify, that He is the Creator, He is the Maker and the Material. This has been said earlier also, but Lord Krishna first of all wants to clarify that He is both the material as well as the efficient or intelligent cause. As we know, for any creation, these two causes are at least required. For creating a pot, we require at least these two causes. Number one, we require clay which forms the material from which the pot is made. And so clay is called the material cause. And we also require the potter, a pot maker. Clay being inert cannot form itself into a pot, therefore we require an intelligent conscious entity possessing the right kind of skills and abilities to form that clay into a certain shape such as a pot and that is called the intelligent cause. Intelligent cause is always a conscious being, intelligent being which has the intelligence as well as the ability and the skills to create and the material cause is always inert. <coughs> Thus we find how a part is created because of the union of the two things, inert and conscious, isn't it? Even part also the product of this clay which is inert, which is what we call prakriti or matter, and the part maker who is conscious. 
It is a combination of these two, Purusha and Prakriti. The spirit and the matter, the union of these two, brings about every kind of creation. <coughs> and therefore, and there are, in India also, there were different schools of thoughts. One of them was called Sankhya. So the Sankhyas also, everybody has their own theory of this creation. And they say that there are two cause, there, there are these two, Purusha and Prakriti, or the spirit and matter, are independent realities. According to them, the world is real, is tangible, real. Real meaning that it is standing on its own legs, it has its own reality, it enjoys independent reality, according to them. Whereas the spirit or the person, the self, also enjoys an independent reality. Therefore, they accept these two independent realities. This is called duality. What is meant by duality is acceptance of more than one independent realities. That's called duality. So they say that the world is created by prakriti, by matter. Sankhya say that the matter has the inherent intelligence to, to create. More or less the scientific view, the science is, that's what the science also would say, that the matter evolves. That's why they say that we do not need a God to explain this creation, that the intelligence is built into matter itself, as Darwin explained, by this law of choice, and by this survival of the fittest and whatever, then the evolution takes place. So what is meant by evolution is that the matter evolves in itself without the need of another one, another maker. That's the whole idea of evolution. So, thus, the Sankhyas, the scientists, all of them say that the, the matter is independent of the spirit. That the matter itself creates. Sankhya said, the creatorship is in matter. This is, they, they call matter Prakriti. And they say that this Prakriti is made up of these three qualities, Sattva, Rajas and Tamas. We will discuss that. So these three dispositions of three qualities, sattva, rajas and tamas. Briefly speaking, sattva means tranquility, purity, balance. Rajas means activity and tamas means darkness, inertia. Thus these are the three things that we find in the world. We find tranquility, we find activity, agitation, we also find dullness or darkness. Sattva, rajas and tamas. And whatever it is in the universe can be understood as made up of this combination of these three gunas. They are called guna. <coughs> Except that the Sankhya say that they independently create. We ask a question, how can matter create? We say matter is inert. How can prakriti? Prakriti means matter. Sattvarajasthamas. It is inert. How can it create? For creation you require intelligence. And matter does not have intelligence. They say no, matter has intelligence. <coughs> so this matter, that is Prakriti, also has intelligence in as much as it knows how to respond to the needs of this person or the spirit. The self has two kinds of needs. <coughs> Either prayas or shreyas, two kinds of needs. Bhoga or apavarga. Either pleasure or liberation, these are the two needs. Basically two desires. Pleasure or liberation, bhoga and apavarga. <coughs> so Prakriti knows what this person desires and accordingly the Prakriti creates the world according to his needs. 
And therefore, according to them, this purusha or the self or the consciousness has no participation at all in the creation process. There is no kartrutva or doership in the self, there is merely bhoktrutva or enjoyership. So two things are there, kartrutva and bhoktrutva. Kartrutva means doership, bhoktrutva means enjoyership. Then the doership is all the initiative is there of creation, is there in the matter, in the prakriti. And the needs of this purusha are known by the matter and accordingly prakriti creates. And this poor self is merely bhokta or just the experiencer, the enjoyer and not the creator. This is their theory. In general, there are other theories also wherein the world is considered to be enjoying an independent reality. This is important. Important is that most of the schools of thought what Swamiji calls theologies and everything else that includes many schools of thoughts in India also all schools of thoughts other than Vedanta, Advaita Vedanta and other schools of thoughts around the world they are all dualistic schools of thought in as much as all of them take the world as real the matter is taken to be as real as the consciousness this is called the duality Lord Krishna says this is not so this is not the world, there is non-duality, which means the matter is not independent of the spirit. Matter is not independent of consciousness. That there is one cause, as we would say, as Lord Krishna said in the 7th chapter, Matta Paratram Nanyat Kinchidasti Dhanja. Hey Dhanja, in this universe there is nothing other than me. I alone am. Whatever there is, nothing but I. Sentient, insentient, good, bad, indifferent, whatever you see, is nothing but myself. That is called non-dual. One non-dual God or Brahman is the only reality manifesting as whatever there is, this universe is. This is what Lord Krishna first wants to clarify. Before talking about this Prakriti, the, what is being talked about is Prakriti in this chapter. Prakriti made up of these three dispositions, Sattva, Rajas, Tamas. But before talking about that, it is necessary to determine the reality of the Prakriti. That Prakriti is not, it does not enjoy independent reality. That it, so it enjoys only dependent reality and apparent reality. <coughs> that is what Lord Krishna wants to clarify first before proceeding with the discussion of Prakriti. <coughs> now before saying all that again, even before that, in the first two verses, Lord Krishna praises the knowledge that he is going to present. In fact, that what I say, discussion starts actually from the third verse. But before even doing that, in order to encourage or enthuse the student to listen to his discourse, this Lord Krishna does again and again in the Bhagavad Gita, is to praise that very knowledge in order to create an interest and enthusiasm in the listener. See, Lord Krishna also had a need, you know that the listener must have an enthusiasm that his attention must be drawn to him because what he's talking about is rather subtle and then it does require a concentration, attention, involvement, enthusiasm, commitment all of this is required and the student will show the commitment, show the enthusiasm, show an interest, show a commitment only when he's going to benefit from that so therefore, again and again we find Lord Krishna praising the benefits of this knowledge in order to create an enthusiasm in Arjuna, so that Arjuna's attention is available to him. 
So first two verses are of that nature. In the first verse, Lord Krishna says, Param Bhuya Pravakshami. Bhuya, once again. Pravakshami, Prakarshena Vakshami. I'm going to tell you in detail. Pravakshami. I'm going to tell you in detail. I'm going to unfold to you, expound to you. Meaning, when Lord Krishna uses the word Pravakshami, I will tell you in detail. So Lord Krishna as though shows a commitment that I will I will give you this I will keep on teaching you until you know about no. This is a commitment that the teacher has that he wants to keep on telling this until the student sees. Pravakshami. <coughs> what are you going to tell us, Lord? Param jnanam. I'm going to talk about Param jnanam, the most exalted knowledge. Param. Param means exalted knowledge. Why is it exalted knowledge? Because the subject matter is exalted. The subject matter of knowledge is God, is Brahma, is Param, is the limitless. And therefore, here Arjuna, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to talk to you about the most exalted knowledge. It becomes most exalted knowledge because the subject matter of knowledge is most exalted. And that is the truth, that is Brahman. <coughs> Uttamam Jnanam Lord Krishna uses these two uh, words qualifying the word Jnanam. Param Jnanam, Uttamam Jnanam. Param means exalted, Uttamam means best. They are not much different. So how come Lord Krishna uses these two uh, adjectives which seem to, among, seem to mean the same? So Param, it is most exalted knowledge because the subject matter is most exalted. And Uttamam, it is best of all the knowledge because the result also is most exalted. So this knowledge is exalted in two ways. The subject matter is also the most exalted, namely God. And the result also is most exalted, namely moksha. Here, Juna, this is the most exalted knowledge because this knowledge will give you freedom, liberation, as we discussed yesterday, from all sense of bondage. <coughs> Again, I'm going to tell you, but Lord, Krishna, Lord, you have been telling me this. This, in fact, Lord Krishna has been saying in all the earlier chapters. So, Lord Krishna, again I will tell you. See, that requires a tremendous amount of kindness, is it? Not to say that again and again and again. Some people say that, look, there is so much repetition in the Bhagavad Gita. Either can call it repetition, or you can call it the need, because, so this is, again, in spite of having been said a number of times, Lord Krishna realizes that this, this is very difficult to comprehend. This is very subtle and therefore rather difficult, to, extremely difficult to comprehend. Therefore, the same thing is being told again and again from different standpoints in different ways. So Arjuna, even though I have said this a number of times to you earlier, again I am going to unfold this knowledge to you. <coughs> just because it is most exalted, just because it is the best among all the knowledges. There are different kinds of knowledges. As, uh, as Mundaka opening just said, Dve Vidya Vedidavya Parachaiva Aparachaya. So thus scriptures recognize two kinds of knowledge, Aparavidya and Paravidya. Aparavidya and inferior knowledge. Paravidya, superior knowledge. So that knowledge of which the worldly matters are the sub are subject matter are called inferior knowledge. And that knowledge of which the self is subject matter is called the superior knowledge. The only reason being that it is this knowledge which is the liberating knowledge. 
That knowledge is minding knowledge. It's amazing. More you know about the world, more minding it is. Some people, of course, we, many people criticize the science and things like that. Look, look what science has done to humanity. Because science has, of course, given lots of comforts and things like that, but at the same time also unleashes destructive forces and so forth. This is what science has done, they say. Our science has not done that. All science does is only reveal the nature of the reality. A human being can use that either way. And therefore a human being can use that to the advantage or you can use it or abuse it. What happens is, as I say, power corrupts. And absolute power corrupts absolutely. So it is said. Somehow when we get power, when we learn more and more about nature, then we find that we can explore the nature more and more. And thus we feel a sense of power. And that power corrupts. And therefore we find that this power in the, in the form of knowledge and technology also is subject to being abused. Not because power should abuse. In fact, power is that which should be utilized for protecting the weak and for helping others. That's the proper use of power. So power is a wonderful thing to have, provided it is in the right hands. But we have seen in history also that the power has been abused again and again. Because that's how it is. Human being being what is, it very often gaining more and more knowledge of the material seems to corrupt him more and more, seems to only increase more and more chase of the pleasures and comforts. And that is why very often that knowledge turns out to be, knowledge cannot be binding. But because the mind is a problem, very often that knowledge is abused and thus it creates more and more pain or more and more problems for human beings. Therefore, it is called inferior knowledge. And that's the reason why when one wants to know, that is why vairagya or dispassion is created. And this knowledge, this is called aparavidya. This is called the superior knowledge because it is liberating knowledge. It is knowledge of the self that is already liberated. And therefore, when I come to know that I am always free or liberated, so that is a knowledge that is liberating knowledge. It liberates me from all bondage or sense of limitation. Therefore, Lord Krishna said, this is the most exalted knowledge. And unless, and, and Lord Krishna sees, Arjuna is not yet liberated, therefore he keeps on speaking again and again. And in the 18th chapter, Lord Krishna saw that Arjuna has gained the knowledge. <coughs> therefore, Lord Krishna said, Yathet Shasi Tathakuru, I have told you all that needed to be told, here Arjuna, you can now do whatever you think fit. Not that Arjuna was just left to himself, but Lord Krishna was quite sure. And not only that, but in the 18th chapter, in the last verse of Lord Krishna's statement, he asked Arjuna, Hey Partha, hey Arjuna, have you listened to what I have said with, with concentration, with attention? Have you listened attentively to what all I have said? Kachyad Jnana Sammoha Vinashtaste Dhananjaya Hey Dhananjaya Is there a Jnana Sammoha? All this illusion that is born of ignorance, is it all gone? So very fine. Arjuna says, Nashto Moha Svratir Labdha Oh Lord, my Moha, my delusion is gone. Svratihi Labdha I have gained that Viveka Buddhi I have gained that knowledge, the discrimination. Suppose Arjuna said at that time that my delusion is not gone. What would happen? You would have 19 further chapters? Really? 
It is not that Lord Krishna said just as a formality. But Shankaracharya explains that this is really the duty of the teacher. In Upanishads also we find this. And then the teacher saying that this is all that I have to say. Lord Krishna also. But he asks, and in case Arjuna said I still need to learn something more, definitely Lord Krishna would have continued. Doesn't matter, both the armies are waiting. It's amazing, you know, in the middle of the battlefield this is going on. Both the armies are waiting and what's happening here? And they, these people seem to all the time in the world. No worry at all. So in the 10th chapter we just concluded in the previous camp, Arjuna says, Vistarenatmana yogam vihutim chajanadana bhuyah katha Hey Janardana, please ex- please narrate again in all the details all your glories in everything. <laughs> That's it. He's, uh, he forgot that he's in the midst of battlefield. That shows, you know, what an amount of commitment. Arjuna is a completely converted person. But he himself reports in his own words that my ignorance is gone. That now I have the sense of discrimination. And I have no difficulty in doing, O Lord, what you are asking me to do. I have no difficulty in fighting this battle, because all the conflict is gone. And this is the commitment the teacher has, and he keeps on unfolding this, if the student is available, of course, and then, of course, this was what we call the, uh, the, the, Arjuna had no choice also, and he didn't want a choice also. But anyway, so, uh, therefore, Pravakshami, so Lord Krishna repeats in different ways. Yajnyatva Munasarve. Gaining this knowledge, what will happen? Yajnyatva, gaining which knowledge? Munaha Sarve. Param Siddhim Itogataha. Sarve Munaha. Muni. Muni means a sage. So, word Muni comes from Manana Shilaha Munihi. The contemplative one is called Muni. Very often, Muni or sage also means a sannyasi or renunciate. All the renunciates of gain, you know, the liberation, gaining which knowledge. Does it mean that just because you become a renunciate that you qualify for the knowledge? No, he must be a Muni. Muni means a Mananashilaha, a contemplative one. It is not... Uh, people often ask this question, Swamiji, is it necessary that we have to become sannyasis to gain the knowledge? Because if we, Gita talks about sannyas all the time, and so, do we have to become sannyasis? Then alone moksha is possible. We would say that even if one does not become sannyasi in terms of the clothes, etc., at least one should develop the spirit of a sannyasi. Spirit of that dispassion. Or spirit of freedom from attachment and aversion. That kind of a purity of the mind one has to gain. That is when one becomes what we call mananashilaha. One becomes contemplative. These things of interest him, then only. What does that interest me? Depending on my likes and dislikes, that will interest me. It's only when the mind becomes essentially free from likes and dislikes that things like God and things like self and all of this will be of interest to me. Otherwise not. So Lord Krishna says, Munihi. So Muneha survey. All these contem- all those who are contemplative sages, having gained this knowledge, itaha param siddhim gataha, they attain param siddhim, they attain the siddhi. Param siddhi, highest siddhi. Siddhi means attainment. 
So there is a lot of fascination of Siddhi. Siddhi means power. So we have heard of the Siddhyashta Siddhi. Anima, Garima, Mahima, Lagima. In Yoga Shastra talks about all kinds of Siddhis. Anima means ability to become an Anu. You can become like an atom. Mahima means becoming big. Garima means become heavy. Lagima means becoming light. People have lots of fascination for these Siddhis. So Lord Krishna also uses the word Siddhi more than once in Bhagavad Gita. In what sense? You know, the typical illustration of Siddhis, you must have heard the story of when Anjanaya Hanumanji, when he was crossing the ocean, jumping the ocean, when he was midway, then these devatas, gods wanted to test him. Because first is one mountain, Mainak Varvat, came up and said to Hanumanji, okay, please rest. So you are, you are this, this is a journey which involves a lot of exertion, so please take rest before you proceed further. Hanuman says, no, 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 no time to rest, not before I complete my task. He proceeded. Then there is another, this uh, female demon, and her name was Surasa. So the Devutas also prompted her to see, you know, what is, what is the commitment of this Hanuman. So this, this female demon, she comes in his way and says, well, Hanuman, I want to eat you up. So you can go ahead, you cannot proceed further. Hanuman says, okay, you can eat me up, but then, mother, do this. Let me finish my mission and then when I return, you can eat me up. She says, no, I want to eat you up right now. And then she opened her mouth. So what Hanuman did was, he became, he became twice the size of that mouth. She opened her mouth, one yojana, one yojana is eight miles, understand? They always talk in the yojana, you know, one yojana, she opened her mouth. Hanumanji became two yojanas. She opened her mouth, ten yojanas, he became twenty yojanas, you know? That's how it went on. She opened her mouth and Sir Hanuman became huge. Her mouth was open like so many miles. Then this is called Mahima, becoming big. And immediately what Hanumanji did was, right away became like a mosquito. Immediately. He entered the mouth, when inside and came, before she had a chance to close the mouth, he entered and came out. Okay, mother, now you have eaten me. Fine. Your job is also done, now I can proceed further. So, Anima, Mahima, this Siddhis, you know. And so people of, of course, we also hear about the Siddhis of some people, you know, levitation and things like that. And we wonder whether Vedanta gives this kind of Siddhis or not. So Vedanta also gives Siddhis. Lord Krishna also talks about Siddhis. But what is Siddhi that Lord Krishna talks about? Two Siddhis he talks about. Yatah pravrtir bhutanam yena saramidam datam svakaramanatamabhyarche siddhim vindati manavaham. Lord Krishna says, worshipping the Lord by one's own duty. One attains Siddhi. Siddhi means accomplishment. What is Siddhi? Of the nature of inner purification. So Lord Krishna seems to consider this Siddhi, this accomplishment of the nature of inner purification, much greater than the Siddhis in the form of these even spiritual powers. And finally, Param Siddhi. The first level of Siddhi or accomplishment is what we call Antahakan Siddhi, inner purification. 
in the ultimate level of siddhi or accomplishment is moksha or liberation <coughs> so yajnatva gaining which knowledge munaha this contemplative stage is param siddhim gataha they attain the liberation moksha when itaha itaha means so afterwards after this after this samsara so becoming free from the bondage of the body becoming free from the bondage arising from the identification of the body so becoming free from the identification they become free from every sense of limit understand that sense of limitation is caused by ignorance my identification this by knowledge they become free from this sense of identification this discover the nature of the self that is ever free it is not that the wise man says i am liberated now you know what his knowledge is his knowledge i was always liberated to discover the self that was ever free siddhim gataha here arjuna gaining this knowledge the wise people gain the siddhi the accomplishment of the nature of moksha <coughs> continuing also showing how this knowledge infallible when you gain the knowledge the result must come so thus these two things karma and jnanam karma means action there is no guarantee that when you perform an action the result will necessarily come there is no guarantee there is so the seeds therefore you will have a harvest there is no guarantee so as far as karma is concerned the result is uncertain as far as jnanam is concerned the result is certain which certainly lord krishna says if you gain the knowledge you will be liberated why is it so how can lord krishna be so sure that this knowledge will bring about liberation for the simple reason that the self is always liberated if liberation was to be brought about by some kind of action or effort then there can be no guarantee when as much as liberation is an obtaining fact therefore here knowing and becoming are one in otherwise the knowing is different becoming is knowing doctor is different becoming doctor is another one here on the other hand knowing the freedom and becoming free are one therefore lord krishna says in second verse how the result of the knowledge is infallible idam jnanam upashritya idam jnanam upashritya mama sadharmya magata mama sadharmya magata sarge pinopajayante sarge pinopajayante pralaye navyathanti cha pralaye navyathanti cha idam jnanam upashritya resorting to this knowledge resorting to knowledge how to resort to the knowledge by resorting to the adequate means of knowledge as we have discussed by swamiji resorting to knowledge means resorting to the means of knowledge what's the means of knowledge vedanta upanishads the scriptures how do you resort to upanishads what is meant by resorting to upanishads is shravanam because upanishads are in the form of words and the words are the means of knowledge the only way that the words can perform the task of producing knowledge is when the words are understood so i will explain i'm sure swami will explain how what is necessary is to do vichara and inquire into the meaning of these words so upanishads are what we call the pramanam the valid means of knowledge with reference to revealing nature of self god 
in world, Jiva Jagat Ishwara. But the only way that the words can really reveal the knowledge is when we understand the meaning of the words. To understand the meaning of the words, there is necessarily what we call vichara or an inquiry must be performed to determine the meaning of the words. How is the vichara performed? Vichara is done through what we call shravanam. Shravanam means listening. Listening to the teachers, when the teacher unfolds the scriptures, listening to the teacher is a process called vichara. So shravanam does not merely mean listening. Shravanam means making inquiry into the meaning of the statements of scriptures. The scripture says, Upanishad says, Tattvamasi, that the word. What is meant by that? It is not that just because we hear the words and knowledge takes place, but the meaning of these words, tat or that, thou art, meaning of each one of these words must become clear to us, and for that we must make an elaborate inquiry. What is meant by tat or that? What is meant by God? What is meant by the world? What is meant by the self? What is the relationship between the two? An inquiry must be performed into the meaning of this statement. That is when the statement will reveal, or we will know the meaning of the statement, so that is called Jnana Upashritya. So resorting to the knowledge, resorting to the means of the knowledge. That means committing oneself to Shravanam, Mananam, Nididhyasanam. Shravanam, listening to the scriptures. Mananam, reflection upon them. Nididhyasanam, meaning the deep meditation upon them. So Shravanam, Mananam, Nididhyasanam. Idam Jnana Upashritya. Here Arjuna, resorting to this knowledge <coughs> and gaining the knowledge what happens? Mama Sadhirmyam Agataha. These sages, gaining this knowledge, Agataha, attain Mama Sadharmyam. Sadharmya. You know dharma? Dharma means nature or characteristics. Sadharma, similar nature. Lord Krishna says, gaining this knowledge, the sages gained a nature similar to me. That means they gained similarity to me. They become like me. Not only they become like me, they become in fact me. In fact, they discovered the identity with me. I means here, Lord Krishna says, so from the standpoint of Brahman. So that means that these people also gain an identity with me. They become me. <coughs> the Upanishad says, Brahma Veda, Brahma Yobhavati. One knows Brahma, becomes Brahma. See, knowing and becoming. Remember the story of the tenth man. Knowing the tenth man, is becoming tenth man. So when you are stored, you, you are the tenth man. Then as we say, all of a sudden, an enlightenment comes, I am the tenth man. So knowledge of the tenth man is becoming tenth man. You know when that happens? That is in case when something is already accomplished. Knowing and becoming are two different things, but in one case, when something is already accomplished, then knowing and becoming are one, because already a tenth man. He is already the tenth man, therefore knowing the tenth man is becoming the tenth man. Similarly, I am already Brahman. I am already free or limitless. I do not know that. So that fact about me is somehow veiled on account of ignorance. And lots of notions are created there. So ignorance dispels, knowledge dispels ignorance. And that's how my nature as it is becomes evident to me. So Lord Krishna says, gaining this knowledge, they become one with me. That means that they discover an identity with me. Or they discover me to be their self. They discover that what they so far thought to be a small limited individual is in fact Brahman or limitless. So, Mama Sadharmyam Agataha. 
All right, Lord, suppose they become one with you. That means they discover an identity with you. They discover that they are Brahma. They are limitless. But still, what will happen after death? See, problem is that, what happens after death? Not only that, but as we have been discussing, you know, this creation is cyclical phenomenon. The creation, sustenance, dissolution. Creation, sustenance, dissolution. So all the living beings go through this. All the beings at the time of dissolution, all of them are merged into their cause. Again at the time of creation, they come into manifestation. Again they become unmanifest. It's a very painful process also. Death is a painful process and birth also is a painful process. So what will happen? All these sages who have become liberated, who have become one with Brahman or a discovered identity with Brahman, what happens to them? Do they have to still undergo the pain of this creation, sustenance, dissolution? So Lord Krishna says, no, Sargepina upajayante. They are not born, Sargepi, at the time of creation, they are not born. Pralena vyathanticha. And they do not vyathanti. Vyathanti means they do not suffer the pain even at a time of dissolution. <coughs> In short, they become free from the creation, sustenance, dissolution, birth and death. They become free from this process of samsara. That means they become free from the embodiment. When the embodiment is there, then the question of birth is there, death is there, pain is there, they become free from embodiment. Brahma Veda, Brahma Yoghavati. The Brahmavit, the knower of Brahman, becomes Brahma. The knower goes away, the Brahman remains. And therefore, there is no question of birth and death or coming and going. They become free from this whole process of transmigration. <coughs> Thus, in these two verses, Lord Krishna praised the knowledge. How great this knowledge is that it creates the effect or the result outcome in the form of liberation, total liberation, freedom from all the pain. Navyasante, Janavyasante, they become totally free from all the pain of birth and death or anything. So, freedom from pain, freedom from sense of limitation, freedom from bondage. That's the result of this knowledge. And thus, Lord Krishna, as we said in these two verses, he praises the knowledge to create a ruchi or an, an interest on the part of the listener. Having done that now, in this in the next two verses, as I said, Lord Krishna shows how he is both the maker as well as the material. He is the material cause as well as the intelligent cause. <coughs> the third verse is, Mama yo nirmahad brahma, Mama yo nirmahad brahma, Tasmin garbham dadham yaham, Tasmin garbham dadham yaham, Sambhava sarva bhutanam, Sambhava sarva bhutanam, Tato bhavati bharata, Tato bhavati bharata. Mama Yonihi Mahat Brahma, as I said, the creation is looked upon as a play or the union of these two principles, Purusha and Prakriti, spirit and matter. <coughs> and that's what these two principles describe as Purusha and Prakriti. So Lord Krishna is a Prakriti. This matter, also called Maya, is Mama Yonihi. It is Shizmai, that is the womb. So here Lord Krishna is what is Mahat Brahma. So for the word Maya, or the cause, Lord Krishna is expression Mahad Brahma. 
Mahat means that which is great and Brahma, Brahma means that which is all pervasive. See the material cause or what we call the primordial matter. So yesterday we were discussing about at the time of satsang, this this concept of Maya. This question was asked here that Swamiji, how about this Maya? Maya is something that we have to accept and take it for granted? Or is this Maya has any kind of uh, is is it is it some is it something that we can understand through reason? So Vedanta says that Satvarajas Tamogonadvika Brahmashraya Maya Asti. There is something called Maya, which consists of three gunas, Satvarajas and Tamas, and Brahmashraya, something that is totally depending upon Brahman. That is Maya is, is not something that enjoys an independent reality, but something that is dependent upon Brahman for its reality. So there is something called Maya. So that can be called power also. There is some kind of inscrutable power. An inscrutable, incomprehensible power is there, which we can call power of creation, which is there in this, in this creation, in this world. There is something called Maya. This is what Vedanta presents to explain. Because without this Maya, nothing can be explained. First of all, we cannot explain how the universe is there in the first place. Without the Maya, even the being of the universe cannot be explained. Because Lord Krishna says, I am the very cause of the universe. But He Himself is limitless and limitless cannot become the cause of anything because there is no reason why this limited universe be created from the limitless. Well, the universe is that which has an origin and that is going to also have an end. And that which is an origin as well as an end is always limited in time. So that which is limited in time, that means universe is limited in time, limited in place. Everything is limited in time and place. And so the whole universe also is limited in time and place. How can the limited be created from the limitless? And why should it be there also? All these questions are always there. So how can the limited emerge from the limitless? How can the limitless become the cause? You know something? Cause is that which should undergo change to become the effect. Like clay is the cause of a part, then clay should undergo a certain change, then alone the part can evolve. If limitless is the cause, then limitless also should undergo a change to become this universe. But that is called limitless which cannot undergo a change. So God remains God. He remains limitless. He remains ever free and, and whole and still becomes the cause of this universe. Now this is something that is not in keeping with the reason. It is not logical that the limitless can become the cause of this limited creation. And that is why, in fact, nothing follows the logic, really speaking. If you, up to a certain point, things appear to be logical, but beyond that, nothing is logical. All of us know that some 300 years ago when Newton and the scientists formulated the laws, then they explained the whole world in a logical way. But at the beginning of this century they found out that logic doesn't quite explain many phenomena. So Newton's laws do not explain the phenomena in very subatomic particles or in the huge bodies and so forth, and therefore they realize that things are not logical. So that's what Vedanta always said that this whole creation is really is something that cannot be explained as to why because there is no cause that can be logically explained and therefore a factor called maya maya as we said yesterday maya also means magic so this is the model that vedanta explained to explain creation vedanta adopted to explain the creation called maya maya means magic 
So how a magician actually throws a net of magic and creates this, his magical world which appears to be all real even though it's not there. And those spectators who are in the spell of the magic, they feel that this whole world, this magical world is real. So how it is really non-existent, however appears to be real to those who are What Vedanta wants to say is, in fact there is no real creation. Although we have, we confront before us a creation which appears to be real to us. But what is meant to be said is, there is no creation in the real sense. And even though nothing is really created, and still everything appears to be there, that means this whole creation is an appearance rather than a real creation. So what we call creation is nothing but manifestation. So it is not that world is created, but we can say that limitless or Brahman appears to be this limited universe. Not the universe is created from Brahman, but Brahman appears to be this universe. So creation is more an appearance rather than a real phenomenon. <coughs> the appearance is all that, that is what a magician does. A magician causes an appearance of things and however, those who do not know that, for them it becomes, it appears to be real. <coughs> so that is called Maya. And this Maya is something to be introduced simply to explain. I am sure you must have, those who have been listening to Vedantic talks must have listened to this story as to how Maya is a concept that is brought in just to ultimately to be taken away. So introduce the concept of Maya and take it away. Have you heard the story of these, uh, these 17 elephants? That is this, there was a very wealthy person once upon a time in a, in a city and he had a huge property. He left a lot of inheritance behind him and apparently he had three sons and he divided all his property among the three sons. He said what should go to whom, what should go to him. Now among, among many things, he also had this number of elephants in the elephant's table. You know, this, there was a statement. The eldest son should get half the number of elephants. The second son should get the one-sixth number of elephants. And third son should get one-ninth. Remember, half, one-sixth and one-ninth. And this was stated. All right. So they went to the stable where the elephants were there and they counted the number of elephants. There were 17 elephants. So wait a minute. How can 17 elephants be divided into half and one-sixth and one-ninth? Maybe your father made a mistake. They counted again and again and it was only 17. Their father was a very intelligent person. So he cannot just make a mistake. So they did not know how to solve this riddle. And thus, they were just debating what, you can't cut the elephant, you know, and you can't do that. Seventeen elephants cannot be divided in any way. At that time, the minister of that city happened to pass by on his elephant. He was, was passing by. And he saw, and this, this people and the lawyers, they consulted him, he said, look here, there is a, there is a riddle here, there are seventeen elephants, we divide in this way, we don't know what to do. The minister was a very intelligent person. It's all right. You know something? You have a problem? I'll do one. I'll donate my elephant to you. Take this elephant. Okay. So then one more elephant came. Now it's 18 elephants. Now it was okay. So the eldest son should get half the number of elephants. He got nine. The second son should get one-sixth, which is what? 
three. He got three. The third was supposed to get one ninth. That is what? Two. So first one got nine and three, twelve. Is it one? No, sorry, not one third. Well, one third elephant, sorry. Six. Yeah. So half, one third and one ninth. That was its condition. So first one got half, that is nine elephants. Second one got the one third, six elephants. Third one got the one ninth, two elephants. Nine plus six plus two makes it what? Seventeen. So minister again took out the eighteen elephant and went away. <laughs> so the condition is satisfied. Once again, this arithmetic, you know, every time, you know, this, the eldest is supposed to get half, the second one, the one third, and the, four, the third one, one ninth. So when there are ele eighteen elephants, nine, six, and two. That's how seventeen. And so eighteenth elephant is just added and taken away. Maya doesn't have anything else to do. Maya is added to explain the creation. Otherwise, then it is taken away because you know so many questions are asked about the creation. Why did God do this and why does he have to do that and why did he not do it differently and so forth and so on. Really speaking, there are no answers. As Swami Vivekananda said one day to one person, he says, these questions are like asking, you know, last night I had a dream and you came to my dream and you borrowed hundred dollars from me. I'm asking you this morning, why, when are you going to return my hundred dollars? Which hundred dollars? Similarly also, all the questions about creation are like that. It's only when I recognize that the dream has dreamed that the questions just disappear. Similarly also, when the reality of the universe is recognized, then the questions will disappear. So there will be no need for Maya then. Because Maya is something very baffling. Not only it has baffled people, it has baffled great Acharyas also. So other Acharyas, the great teachers who came after Shankaracharya, were really upset with his use of this Maya. Shankaracharya is called Maya Vadi. So Advaitins are called Maya Vadis. The fellows who are Maya Vadi. And so one Acharya even said that this is a blasphemy of God. You say that God is Maya? And he's a Mayavi. Maya means magician. Maya also means fraud or trick or jugglery. All of these are the meanings of Maya. Deceit. You mean God is a fraud? He's deceiving? He's tricking everybody? And therefore they said, no, there is no Maya. This world is real. This is no Maya. Because sometimes emotionally also it hurts to accept a principle called Maya. That God is called Mayavi. Mayam to prakritam vidyan, mayinam to maheshwaram. Shvetashtra Upanishad says, the prakriti, the material cause is Maya, and the intelligent cause is Mayavi. So sometimes God is called Mayavi. Maya means the deceitful. But that is not so. As you said, the only reason why Maya is introduced is to understand. Once understanding comes, the questions also will not remain for the simple reason. Once I recognize the reality, that this is not real. All the questions are valid if the world was real. Why is it there? But the questions cannot be there if you understand the reality of the world in this way. For example, instead of a robe, when I see a snake, so when there is this perception of snake, delusion of snake, then you can ask question, how can, why is there a snake? Why did it, why is it there? How did it come into being? None of these questions can be answered only when I realize that there is no snake in reality. Snake is merely a projection. 
And when that projection goes away, all the questions also disappear along with that. And similarly also, when the reality of the world is recognized that this is myself, not only the world is Brahman, it is my own self. All these questions arise because I think that I am a small little insignificant entity, that the world is different from me. But when I recognize my own dimension, then these questions also do not remain. And so, uh, Maya is a principle that is introduced to explain the creation. It is sometimes called the inscrutable power. There is some kind of a power of appearance, not of creation. That rope has some kind of a power, that rope appears to be a snake. That shell or mother of pearl has some kind of power that appears to be silver. As silver attracts me, and when I pick it up, I find it's nothing but a shell, I'm disappointed. As a snake, it frightens me, only when I go show a torch, right, then I find that there's no cause for fear. But if I do not investigate, if I take things for granted, then either attachment or aversion is a way I relate to the world. Because I take the world to be real, and therefore, this is a principal cause of all the pain we have. One of the important causes is that the world is real. Only a real thing can make me happy or unhappy. Unreal thing cannot make me. Only a real thing can make me happy. Unreal thing cannot. A real thing can attract me. Unreal thing cannot. As often I give the example of, uh, you know, something we have here at the parts, among many things. Something like this, you know. So this is an example that we often give. These are grapes. Real. Until, you know, as long as that, they are, they are you know, the, away from me, as long as I am not investigated as to what they are, as it really happened to me once upon a time, when I was once invited for, for bhiksha, and then I was taken home, and the uh, hostess, I was made to sit in the, uh, in the living room and everything else, and the hostess went inside to prepare, you know, for the food, warm up a thing and like, and then they warned that when the Swami comes and they should... Uh, serve them the fresh chapatis and fresh things and warm things, you know. So they start warming up. It takes about 45 minutes to do that. And here I'm sitting out, you know, alone, hungry. <laughs> and I didn't know what to do as I was looking around. I was all by myself and there was this big dining table and I saw lots of fruits and I thought, that's wonderful. So since nobody was watching me, I quietly sneaked close to a dining table and I picked up I picked up a bunch of grapes. I love grapes. And these black grapes in particular. I just picked up a bunch of grapes. I just put it back. <laughs> because as soon as I picked up, I knew what it is. Then I, I touched all the fruits one after the other. Apples were there, <laughs> bananas were there, all kinds of fruits were there. All of them were false. Not a single one of them was real. Then I touched the flowers also. <laughs> all of them. <laughs> Everything was fake. That is called Maya which in fact is unreal, but creates the appearance of reality. That is only mithya. So, maya causes this mithya. This is called mithya. That which is not really there, but which creates the appearance of really being there, this is called mithya. As long as I do not know that, so long it attracts me. There is an attachment. Once I know what it is, there is no attachment. And no aversion also. Why oh, I, I hate this thing, stupid thing, why is it like this? I throw it, I don't, I realize that this was my stupidity, my stupidity, this is all right. So I can laugh at my own foolishness and I put it back. And now once I know that this is mithya, unreal grapes, I have no attachment, 
no aversion. I can enjoy the beauty of it. Now I say, hey, now I am objective about it. Oh, look at how, how, how vivid, you know, the creation is. Then look at every other fruit and I find how wonderful it is. So only when mithya is known as mithya, then alone I become free from attachment and aversion. Otherwise I have either attachment or hatred. Both are, are because of giving reality. I can hate something that is real or I can be attracted towards something that is real. These attractions and hatred, that is the, the nature of relationship that we have. All that arises and both of them causes pain. The attachment also causes pain by not by, by, uh, by separation, you know. When I'm attached to something, that also causes pain. By separating from me. It also causes fear, it, somebody will take it away from me. And then, what I'm, I, I'm averse to, that also causes pain by association. So things I'm attached to cause pain by, by separation. And things I'm averse to cause pain by association. Unfortunately, what I do not want, I all, I'm stuck with that. What I want seems to be always away from me, and therefore, both attachment and aversion always cause pain. And that is how to explain to us the reality of this universe, that it is mithya. When can it be mithya? When the cause is maya. So maya is the cause, and mithya is the effect. That is how, that's why this concept of maya. As you said, maya is the model, the model of a magician. How the magician creates an appearance of something which is not there. However, all that magical creation appears to be real to all those who are under the spell of magic, they do not know that reality. When they know the reality, then it becomes real fun. <coughs> so that's called Maya. And for that Maya, here Lord Krishna uses the word or expression Mahat Brahma. This Maya is great as well as all pervasive. It is great because it is cause. Cause is always greater than the effect. And the cause pervades the effect, and the clay pervades the parts. So also maya pervades, every, that's why everywhere the maya is. Don't think only rule up rope, yes, the snake. That's just an example. Everything appears to different from what it is. Everything in the world. Because whenever I see something as a source of happiness, it's nothing but maya. When I look upon something as a source of happiness or security, that's maya. Similarly, whenever I see something as a source of pain, that is also maya. So when I look upon something as a cause of pleasure or pain, there is nothing but maya. So everything has the capacity of dece deceiving us. So that maya is all pervasive because that's the material cause. So the effect is always true to the material cause. If maya is a material cause, everything has that maya. <coughs> that's why it's called Brahma. Brahma means that which is all pervasive. Mama Yonir Mahat Brahma. Here, Arjuna, this Maya, which is great, Mahat meaning all pervasive, and Brahma, which sustains everything, is Yoni, that's the material cause. Tasmin Garbham Dadhamyam, Yoni here means the womb, which here means the material cause. Tasmin Garbham Dadhamyam, I place a seed in that. So, following this conventional process of Procreation, Lord Krishna uses that particular model here to explain the creation. How Maya is the mother and God is the father, you can put it this way. Pitahamasya Jagataha, Mata Dhata Pitamaha. In the ninth chapter, Lord Krishna says, I'm the father of the creation and the mother and the grandfather and everything. So here he said, Maya is the mother. And Lord Krishna says, I am the father. Tasmin Garbham Dathamyam, I place a seed into this Maya. What is meant by that? 
What is meant by is that is that this Maya itself is inert. Even the creative power also is not independent of the creator. And therefore, I enliven the Maya. I energize the Maya. And that's how the, from the Maya starts the process of creation. So imagine, imagine the state of pralaya or dissolution when everything is dissolved. And imagine the moment when the creation starts. So what happens is, Maya, which is the potential of the creation, becomes enliven. So, Lord Krishna says the Purusha, the consciousness, the spirit, enlivens that matter, enlivens the creative force. And that's how, Sambhavasara Bhutanam Tato Bhavadi Bharata. And from that, He Bharata, He Arjuna, Sarabhutanam Sambhavaha, all the beings come into, all the objects come into being. <coughs> That occurs the birth of all the beings. So, Lord Krishna, the purpose of this verse is for Lord Krishna to say that I am the only cause of the creation. There is nothing other than me. That Maya, that is in fact my power, is that which is energized and given by me, and from that the whole universe has its birth. <coughs> we'll continue our discussion in the evening class. Om Purnamada Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachyade Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vashishyade Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankarachayam Keshavam Badarayanam Sutra Bhashya Krutavande Bhagavanta Punaf Punaha Ishwara Guru Ratmedi Murti Veda Vibhagine Vyoma Vadvyapta Dehaya Lakshina Murtae Namaha Om Shanti 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 Hari Om